we're about to do a bit of yobbling. Now, just to bring you up to speed on that bizarre word I just used, yobble is uh, becoming this much-loved acronym for our year of biblical literacy. We have just begun. You are here right at the beginning of this year-long endeavour. Last week was kind of like the pilot episode or launch. Um, Rich, um, Vicar Rich, who it's his 40th birthday today. Um, So, last week, what was I saying? Last week, Rich launched this year of biblical literacy. Um, If you missed that, you may value an explanation of what an what it is that we are up to for this year. You can find that on the website. There's a web page that gives a little explanation as to what our intentions are uh, with this year, what our hopes and prayers are for it. Um, I like the word literacy. It's basically sort of getting into the Bible, letting the Bible get into us more, seeking to understand this thing. The word literacy implies, by my limited understanding, reading and writing, yes? Uh, Do not be fooled. We are not about to write... um, some more Bible together, Um, but we are, as we read the Bible and understand it and get literate in it, as this story gets into us, actually we are able to then um, faithfully write the chapter of God's story that is our life uh, together in 2016 in Worcester. So that's the the writing side of things. Okay, now has anybody, part of this year, um, there's there's four bits, I've got a slide for, for this, there's four components to the year. Um, number one, do it yourself. There is a Bible reading program that we are... It's kind of like do it yourself as in reading the Bible for yourself, but we'll be doing it all together as well. Um, Sunday teaching, we'll be just sort of plotting the course for the year, and even if you're not on board with the Bible daily Bible reading app, you'll be going to be dragged through this year um, anyway by virtue of the Sunday teaching. Three, um, there is some follow-up material each week. The small groups, um, many of them will be um, carrying on the conversation uh, each time with some of that material. I think it will also go out via e-news, which is our weekly email bulletin. Um, You can sign up. There's an explanation on the website, I think, if you're not yet on that list. Um, And some of the follow-up can come at you uh, via e-news as well. Number four, take it further. There are some opportunities punctuating each term. Um, uh, this term, our very own Robin Parry. Give us a wave, Robin. You'll recognise this man as host team leader, extraordinaire, and PCC member. Um, he's also written a book on some of the stuff uh, that we're going to be covering in these first four weeks. Um, surprise. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, very good, in fact. Um, delighted that Robin's going to be giving a lecture uh, on some of that stuff. What's the date for that, Robin? He has no clue, I have no clue, but we do have a term card uh, and the date will be on the website, so um, come along to that, that'll be fun. Um, Opportunity for Q&A as well, and he is quite brilliant and very knowledgeable, so that'll be fun. Um, 3rd of November is is emerging as the answer to our um, question. Now, the Bible reading programme started yesterday, 1st of October. There's an app for this called Read Scripture that's free to download, quite brilliant. They've got these little videos that are embedded along the way that give a load of explanation, really helpful. Uh, I'm loving it so far, but it is only day two. Um, <laughs> if you're the kind of person, incidentally, who, when they get sort of told, oh, we're doing this Bible reading program, and you sort of inherently think, well, I, well I'm not going to do that then. Um, because, because it's like the cent- that, that was, that's been me for, for years. Like, if there's some like central initiative, we're all doing this, I'll, I'll opt out and like, 
occupy that, that space on the, on the edge. Um, always suspicious of the monoculture. Just check that stuff at the door. Um, get involved with it. It's brilliant. It's an invitation. You could um, minimally just rock up on a Sunday, engage with this journey that we're going on a little bit, or it could be something that you make a whole lot of. It could be significant in your, um, your walk um, as a Christian. It could, for the first time, be like, ah, oh, I understand what is going on with this book, the Bible. So i just put that out there. Has anyone begun this um, reading plan and made it to day two? Could you stand up, not to um, embarrass you? Um, it'll become clear why in just a second. Um, could you continue standing, continue standing if you would be willing to perhaps read a little bit of what you've already written again out for all of us? I'll tell you which bit. No, 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 don't all sit down. Come on, come on. Stay stand. No one else is allowed to sit down. Fraser, come on, come on. We need seven. No, we need six. Seven. Six or seven. Out you come to the front. If you're still standing, you're up for this. Okay, our reading. Do, do we have? Do we have? You need a Bible as well. Okay, our reading is from Genesis chapter one. You can turn to it. That's the very first page. I need to use this. Oh, for them, of course. So I can hear myself just fine. Um, Genesis chapter one. The whole chapter, here's how it's going to work. Um, I'll do the first two verses, and then, Tim, you're going to be day one. Um, Day two, day three. Can you get in this order over here? So we're looking for one, two, Fraser Jars. Now, this is a little bit controversial. Um, four, five, and six. You need to stand by your corresponding. Um, so day one by four. Five by two. Six by three. Got it. So if you stand in front of Fraser, and your day five, day six, Naomi. Are you ready? And you need to pass this along. This is um, called making a virtue out of forgetting anyone to ask to do the reading. Um, <laughs> But I think it may uncover, um, as we're not going to make anything more out of this, but actually some of the poetic um, structure, some of the structure in this epic poem of Genesis chapter 1. So enjoy. I'll do the first two verses, and then it's on to day one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said... (laughs) (laughs) Um, And God said... Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. 
And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together. He called seeds. And then God saw it was good. And then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit and trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with seed in it. And that was so. God brought from the, sorry, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And then there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. God spoke. Lights come out. Shine in heaven's sky. Separate day from night. Mark seasons and days and years. Lights in heaven's sky to give light to earth. And there it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of day, the smaller to be in charge of night. And he made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up earth and oversee day and night to separate light and dark. God saw that it was good. It was evening. It was morning. Day four. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God who created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thank you. Just to finish it off, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We made it. All done. Give these guys a clap. Okay, so this 
last week, last week was the sort of introduction. This week is series one, episode one, if you will. There's a four-part series. It's kind of like the preamble to this whole year, the preliminary questions like, um, the, the whole, these, these four are called, it is, it is written. And the questions are like, it was? It was written? By whom? Where? In what sort of circumstances were they writing? And, and it was remembered? How was it remembered? And, who collected it together and, and how did they do that? And why weren't some of those writings included in it as well? And who got to decide all that stuff? And once we got that far, it's like, well then, this is supposed to be received as the word of God. What does that mean? How is this, this collection of writings, uh, to be an authority in our lives? And, and if you agree on that, then, then how do you interpret that for today? Um, we're just going to be, Big, big questions, things we don't often talk about, uh, but important ones, and it will kick-start this year as we go. Now, where are you going to be tomorrow morning at 11 a.m.? There isn't a correct answer to this. This is just, um, you know, just imagine in your mind's eye where you're going to be tomorrow morning at 11. You get there, mid-morning, you think, right, time for a coffee break. You make yourself a cup of coffee, and you think, I'm going to catch up on that... Um, uh, those, the, the Bible reading thing, and you've maybe you've downloaded the app, or you've got the paper thing, you've opened it up, um, and you're, you're reading through. And then, just at that moment, your um, flatmate comes in, or your neighbour rings on the doorbell, or your colleague at work uh, walks past your desk and is like, "What are you doing?" And you're like, um, "Well, uh, so we're doing this thing." Um, with my church. It's called a year of biblical literacy. And, and part of it is we're, we're all reading through the whole Bible um, uh, over the course of the year. And, and every Sunday we're hearing these things on it. And there's some lectures that I could go to as well. Chances are that your flatmate, your neighbor, your colleague, whoever it is that has sort of bumped into you at 11 o'clock, inside their head they're going to be thinking, why on earth would they do that? And the Bible is weird. There's a talking snake on page three, for goodness sake. <laughs> Why are you spending a year of your short life getting, spending so much time and energy and grappling with this, this book? I've known something of those dynamics. Uh, I was 15 years old. And um, I was on an orchestra tour because I was really cool. And uh, we were there um, rehearsing in Lampeter in West Wales. And uh, there was a, a guy who was two years older than me. Um, and he, um, for some reason, there, I think it was a Gideon's Bible lying around in this rehearsal space. And he um, was holding court with um, a few of us. And he was picking up, he picked up this Bible. And he was opening it at random, reading out a verse or a couple of sentences um, demonstrating how utterly ridiculous this book was, how random it was, how weird that people would would value it and, and read it out aloud every Sunday and, and think that this had anything to say to our contemporary. It was, and everyone was laughing and it was, it was a funny time. Except I knew that this wasn't right and, and like I couldn't laugh. This was like sort of deeply problematic for little 15-year-old Owen. So I, I came up with a, a good response to this. I... I sat as quietly as I could, and I went red in the face, and I just hoped no one was laughing, uh, no one was noticing that I wasn't laughing at this stuff. What do you say to the, the smart 17-year-old who's just opening it? Right, it's just so weird. How do we get into understanding 
um, some of the oddness of this book. Our basic question this morning is, what is this? We're going to start in Luke 24, verse 44. Um, you could turn there if you have a Bible. We're encouraging people to bring um, their own Bible, just so we can get familiar with the order of things and the shape of it and how it is. If you do not have your own Bible, we'd be delighted to give you one. There is a pile. Um, some of them are pretty new and pretty good. The, the church Bibles, but some of them don't look too well used. Um, grab one of those, write your name in the front of it, and away you go. It's yours. Enjoy. But Luke 24, verse 44, says this. This is the resurrected Jesus speaking to the disciples. He says... Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Okay, what I should have said to the smart 17-year-old on orchestra um, tour was um, that a reasonable way, wherever you're coming from, to um, a, a reasonable way in uh, to this is to just honestly acknowledge this sudden historical reality uh, that uh, broke onto the scene. It began as this Jewish sect uh, and quickly spread to all kinds of people. Um, and they worshipped a man called Jesus, and they worshipped him as God. This was most surprising for strict monotheistic Jews to take what would have been an unimaginably blasphemous move and worship a man, a carpenter, um, and worship him as God. What happened that they would do that? What happened that they would change their um, Sabbath from the Saturday to a Sunday, there must have been something utterly gear-shiftingly remarkable that happened uh, to make them do that. Um, By far the easiest reading of that historical imprint, that historical factual reality that you just have to engage with, by far the easiest reading of it is that something remarkable happened on that first Easter Sunday uh, that was the resurrection. And scholars right across the spectrum um, from you know, utter sceptics um, through to your Jesus followers, um, they'll all agree that, yeah, that is the, 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 the simplest, easiest, uh, straightforward reading of uh, the evidence. So if a full-blown resurrection and ascension of Jesus might just have happened, then that compels you to take seriously what the eyewitnesses said about him and what they remember him saying about himself. And that's the, the four Gospels uh, right there. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and when you get into those and you you get to know this Jesus guy and you realise that actually he took the rest of the the Old Testament um, the the first that much of the Bible really seriously and he was quoting it all over the place and that kind of compels us to um, consider that as well what does that mean for understanding who Jesus was what I'm saying is and this would have been amazing if little 15-year-old awkward Owen was able to say something like this to the the 17-year-old, was the historical reality of the church points to resurrection. Resurrection points us to consider Jesus, who points points us to the significance of the rest of the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. And so um, that's a little way into sort of of course, I didn't say anything like that. I just sort of went red in the face awkwardly. Um, but I've got a little picture to help you um, get start to, to navigate what this is. Are you ready? It's a bookshelf. And here you have um, a kind of visualization of what this book 
uh, what this collection of writings um, is. So on the left, you can see the Old Testament. Kind of works like a. T- it's very clever. It works like a timeline almost as well, with um, these books coming up to um, Jesus, and then you've got the stuff that was written closely after um, the whole Jesus thing happened. Uh, the it's not Jesus's blogs. Um, someone said it looks a bit like that. Jesus didn't actually write any blogs. Um, didn't write anything um, that we have. Uh, uh, but you've got the the four eyewitness based. Um, testimonies about uh, Jesus and the rest of the um, uh, apostolic writings. Now, Luke 24:44. what did Jesus say? Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. If you were a Jew, you would not refer to this collection of writings as the Old Testament. You'd refer to your Hebrew Bible, perhaps by the word Tanakh. Anyone heard of Tanakh? That's basically an acronym. Um, you can see where we're, we're, you could maybe begin to see where we're getting it from. We've got Torah. That's the law, the, the Moses books, the first five ones. Um, Navi, Navim, something like that. Losing confidence in my uh, Hebrew pronunciation. Uh, Navi is uh, one of the Hebrew words for prophet, seer. Um, im is their sort of plural, uh, where we put an S on the end of something, they put im on the end. And ketuvim, um, which just means writings. There's um, a skater boy slash um, Old Testament scholar called Tim Mackey. If you um, check him out, it's quite good fun. Um, borrowing um, a lot of his stuff for these first four weeks, because uh, it's brilliant. Um, he's my new hero. Anyway, he says uh, ketuvim, you can remember it like the kitchen drawer of the Bible. Uh, that drawer that you put your screwdriver and um, foreign currency and um, old batteries that you haven't yet worked out how to recycle. That thing, that, oh, they all just, it's like odds and ends. Um, the other ones are kind of more clearly defined qualifying sections. And then you've got the, the kitchen drawer as well. So that's your Old Testament. That's what Jesus is referring to. And he's saying that it all points to him. He actually just says Psalms, doesn't he? If you looked closely, but that's probably his shorthand for the kitchen drawer because Psalms was the first and the largest and most significant book within the kitchen drawer. Okay, where are we up to? In our English Bibles, you will, we'll get onto this in a couple of weeks, but our, the order of books is not quite as neat as this um, for reasons that we'll, we'll get to. Um, so they're a little bit shuffled, but that's the basic structure of this collection that you hold in your hand. And Jesus takes it really seriously. Last week, uh, Rich gave us this quote from Gandhi. You Christians, look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as nothing more than a piece of literature. Okay, Many of us hold this to be so much more than a piece of literature. Uh, And I pray that many will discover uh, this to be something so much more than another piece of literature to stick on the shelf. But we've got to remember that it is literature and not treat it as anything less than literature. What I mean is when we might quickly uh, imagine that this is just sort of dropped out of heaven, effectively, React, and we read it like we imagine this is dropped out of heaven in contemporary English, 
And so we read straight off the page, oh yes, this is what, what God is saying to me. We do that and we fail to value this for what it is. Fail to realize that um, the bit we've been uh, reading today, probably in the region of 3,000 years old, this is a remarkable thing. Like the main point for today is it is an ancient text. And let's, let's hear that, let's value that, let's respect it. Let's do the patient uh, hard work sometimes of approaching, un- approaching some sort of um, understanding of what uh, it is saying. It's quite an exciting journey, I think, as we will begin shortly. Um, I remember, though, going, uh, I, was, I think I was about 15 again, and uh, my dad took me along to hear um, a guy called Roger Forster uh, speaking. Anyone heard of Roger Forster? He is up there with, like, sort of, you know, top Bible nerd, big brain type, spent a whole lifetime um, investigating, exploring, getting into this. So there's this two-hour lecture thing that he's doing um, in Cardiff. That's where I grew up. And he um, is just going at it. I can't remember what he was talking about, uh, but I remember just being like, whoa, that was, you know, just so far beyond anything um, that... I'd ever read, I'd ever, you know, from reading the Bible for myself, I felt like, what's the point in reading it for myself? I don't even know what half of it is, is getting at now. If there's that kind of depth of meaning and um, referencing and uh, context to be aware of and the other stuff that this was going on around this time. And, uh, and I just thought, God. and part of me was then skeptical. It was like, God, would you really intend it to be that difficult, that impenetrable? Um, for the likes of me um, to get into. And I, and I brought this up. I, with, my dad said, how did you find that? I said, yeah, it was amazing. But but really, like, is it that, is there that much work to be done of, you know, does God expect me to, to, to know that stuff? And dad said, no. It, it's not, I can't remember quite what he said, but he essentially said, no, it's not, you know, Joe Bloggs' responsibility to be have all of that awareness before they can read the Bible, but actually some people it is. And now it turns out that it's kind of my job to engage with some of this stuff on behalf of the community. A great privilege. Uh, such an amazing thing. Um, I love it. Um, but this year presents us all with the opportunity to, to go there. Um, modern technology gives you such opportunity in this regard. The little videos that have been produced um, based on really good scholarship uh, that just give little introductions to the book, show you the structure, what's going on. They bring some of this stuff alive, and it's fantastic. And um, just endorse it and encourage you to, um, to, to track with it, because it's, um, it's fun. Anyway, um, what am I saying? Roger Forster, yeah, we've done that. Um, the point, the point of all of that Efforts that lifetime, perhaps some of you may be called to a lifetime of uh, engaging, um, wrestling on behalf of the the wider church. Perhaps, what's the point of it all? What's the point of this book? Luke twenty four gives us a glimpse to that bigger picture. Jesus is saying it's all about me. That this, the law, the prophets, the writings, actually, the story of God is fulfilled. In me, And it's no easy task getting our heads around what it means for Jesus to be the fulfillment of some of this stuff that we open at random. But that's what this year is for. And hopefully at the end of it, we'll all be better equipped to um, 
not go red in the face uh, when we're faced with a smart 17-year-old um, ridiculing this, but actually be like, hang on, let me show you. This is actually really brilliant. Right, with the time left, that's what this is. This is the unified story of God points us to Jesus in a nutshell. Um, with the time that we've got left, we're going to start at the beginning, um, track a little bit of that Genesis, um, notice a few things along the way, um, and see what happens. As we open this book, this is perhaps the closest thing you'll come to time travel, which is a little disorientating. It should be. <laughs> um, there'll be a bit of culture shock. That's healthy and normal. Um, so be humble and open, and who knows what we might discover uh, there. Now, I w- we've had some friends staying with us, and um, uh, one of them is called Beth, and she's a teacher, and she teaches RE, and she was telling me how she um, recently uh, ran this trip with the, the kids from her school to go to Israel, and it's going to be amazing, you know, an RE trip, and getting into the, the land of the Bible, another um, so much, so much uh, exciting stuff to see. The kids um, before the trip were most excited or most inter- most concerned was the word she used uh, to to wonder whether there would be a McDonald's um, in Israel. <laughs> I don't know what you're like when you go travelling. My favourite thing to do when I arrive in a new place is to wake up early um, before anyone else is up uh, and go out just for a walk around the block of this. You always arrive at night, it seems. Uh, in the morning, get up. Um, go for a walk around the block and it's just so exciting I think of like I have no idea what I'm about to encounter I remember doing this in India and people just staring (laughs) at me this particular um, part of India that we'd arrived in and they weren't used to um, uh, people my colour I guess and it was just just like wonderful and the sights and the smells and the, the sounds sometimes our Bible reading can be a bit like jumping off the plane into a whole other country, opening this book into a whole other landscape. And um, we can't deal with the strangeness of it. We take no time to take a walk around the block and just try to, with an open mind, just try to figure out where this is coming from, what context this is speaking in, what things this is in conversation around. And instead, what we do is we go straight to the McDonald's and we find something that's familiar and... Probably not good for us, um, but familiar. And um, we just reach straight for the Big Mac, and um, uh, you know, and that, and that helps us sort of deal with the the strangeness. Or the, otherwise, it blocks out the strangeness. And so we import all sorts of um, you know, contemporary debates, perhaps. And we say, "Oh yeah, this is speaking straight to that," and and we fail to hear what it's. We fail to receive the value of this experience of being immersed in another time, another culture of what is really going on, what this is really saying. Are you with me? So the the confusion is okay. Um, Disorientation is okay. It's healthy. It's worrying when it's not there. (laughs) So don't worry when you're reading on the daily plan and and someday you just haven't got a clue what that was all about. That's okay. Uh, That that shows you're actually engaging with what it's saying and not just what you think it's saying. Um, So go for it. That's, That's good. Okay. Um, let's jump straight into the weirdness. Day two. I think this was Fraser? Yes. Day two, verse six, Genesis one. 
God says, let there be an expanse. The, um, the Hebrew word underneath that is, is a word called rakir, between the waters to separate them. The waters above the rakir from the waters below the rakir. Question is, what's a rakir? And you line up a load of English translations and you're like, ah, gutted, there's this long debate that's going on and no one's quite can agree on, on what exactly it should be translated as. So the, the NIV, expanse. The New Living Translation has space. The King James Version has the word firmament, whatever that means. <laughs> the NRSV has dome. So the problem is that rakir isn't really a thing in our kind of conceptions of of how the, the physical components of the universe are fit together. But we have a very sophisticated sort of um, scientific understanding of things. And we need to kind of drop that a little bit to, to understand what's being said here. And so sometimes we'll be like, okay, clearly that must mean atmosphere, right? The kind of that, that expanse, um, that, that's the atmosphere. That's a bit like getting off the plane, reaching for the McDonald's, because that our sophisticated modern conceptions of atmosphere don't belong. This is an ancient text. Uh, it doesn't make sense to start importing these things back into it. If we're going to respect it and value it and seek to hear what it's actually saying. Get it? And what's it talking about? Anyway, atmosphere wouldn't work. Something that separates the waters above from the waters below. What's all that about? Just so happens that if we were to travel back in time and ask people, people would be like, what do you mean? You know, you dig down uh, through the earth and you get to, sooner or later, you may know it from the beach, you get to the water, the waters below. And, um, and we know that the waters are above because it's blue and, and sometimes the water comes through. Um, and the, the whole ancient Near Eastern conception of the, the, the world, the universe, the, the space that they were inhabiting um, looked something like this. No, that's our one. <laughs> this one. <laughs> and you've got flat earth, essentially, uh, arranged in a circle um, with waters above and below. Interesting. Isaiah 40 talks about God looking down on the circle of the earth. And sometimes we might be tempted there to be like, see, isn't amazing how the Bible is so ahead of its time and it, and it, and it has sort of, it's compatible with modern science and our understanding of, um, planets and, um, the circle of the earth, yeah, that's the previous picture, you know, that, that they had that. No, no, it's, that's, that's getting off the plane and going into McDonald's and the, the straight, the weirdness of the world that is, is being talked about here. Um, it's, it would be a failure to walk around the block and engage with what is really going on. It would be, um, to just satisfy that. Well, I know what is it? Oh, yeah, it must be that. After, you know, jumping into the familiar, comforting, inhabit the weirdness and the confusion and the strangeness for just a minute. Because as you do so, the rewards are fantastic when you realise what this is really saying. 
uh, this poem. The, what it's, what's really going, it was never some argument for the physical components of the universe and, or, you know, this stuff wasn't in debate. This is shared. This view was just ancient Near Eastern, the Babylonians, um, the Canaanites. This, this is, yeah, this is how the universe is, of course. This isn't the point of the poem to argue for this. It's making a point about God in the midst of this picture, as we will see. So when the origins of the universe debate, an important debate, um, turns to Genesis 1, cracks open Genesis 1, and maybe that's like the smart 17-year-old cracks it open to just show how ridiculous and out of date uh, this Bible is, has nothing to say uh, today, or maybe someone else turns to it to construct their kind of... um, rival scientific theory with seven 24-hour periods, or maybe um, someone else turns to it and be like, no, look how compatible this is actually with, with modern science, and you've got seven uh, epochs of um, evolution or something that are uh, wonderfully... All of that is an exercise in missing the point. Um, you're trying to do something with the text that it was never intended to do. Um, it's a bit like uh, doing, you know, reading Harry Potter to teach you how to do uh, a magic trick show. You know, that's not what the text was designed for. Which we rip it out of. And, and as you do that, you miss the glory that is on offer um, of the story of who God is, what he's up to, what he's like, his character, his heartbeat, who we are to be uh, in response to that. These are the live questions that transcend the cultural moment. Uh, these are the questions that matter. Um, and it's, and, it's, and it's cool that what the, um, when we get to the, the meaning, uh, some of the meaning um, today, um, it's, just, it's just, it's it's good. It's like, yes, that's, that's more like it. Right then, anyway. Um, basically, what I'm trying to say is it's not a science textbook, yeah? It's not interested in those questions of why, of, of how. Those questions weren't a, a thing, it's, it's interested in the why, more to the point, it's interested in the who. Right, so, we are getting there. Now, there's a scholar, Raymond Brown, anyone heard of him? There's a few theology uh, students in the room. Um, he says this. Um, um, the framers of the creation stuff in the Bible, inherited a treasure trove of venerable traditions from their cultural neighbours. Instead of creating their accounts ex nihilo, as in out of nothing or from scratch, the biblical authors are developing their own traditions in dialogue with some of the great religious traditions of the surrounding cultures, particularly those originating from um, Babylon and Egypt, as well as their more immediate Canaanite neighbours. Remember, these are the people that came out of Egypt were exiled in Babylon, lived next door to the Canaanites. This is the cultural conversation that they were a part of. And so, if we were to travel back in time again, and this time go to uh, ancient Babylon, and ask them, um, tell us, who is it who, who is the one, who is the god like, who brings the order out of the chaos? And they say, oh, I know that one, that's easy, that's Marduk. That's the patron god of our city. And they tell you stories about Marduk, including the one where 
he's fighting the monster called Tiamat. And we've got a picture um, from a bit of archaeology here. So you've got Marduk with his bow and arrow fighting this chaos dragon goddess called Tiamat. Okay? And the story goes that Marduk summoned the wind to blow so hard on Tiamat that her mouth uh, came open, enabling um, him to fire his arrows down her throat, pierce her heart, and defeat her. Then, and this, this motif of the battle between the gods is just like standard feature in Egypt, in um, Babylon, all of these um, epic uh, poems. This is standard feature. In this one, he then rips her jaws apart, grabs her by her big teeth and rips her jaw apart, and the top half of the, the dragon goddess's body becomes the waters above, and the bottom half becomes the waters below. In Canaan, there's, um, their god was Baal. You might remember him from the Old Testament. He crops up um, a couple of times. And uh, Elijah, Baal, that one. And uh, similarly, there's depictions of Baal fighting his chaotic um, dragon, the dragon, chaos, waters, that stuff. This was the cultural conversation that the Bible is in dialogue with, is emerging from. And then we turn to Genesis 1. And what do we find is beautifully absent? There is no battle here. There is no rival. There is no threat. In fact, there is only one true, all-powerful God. And in the grand history of ideas, that's a pretty big one that's just dropped in right there. And so we are safe with him. There's possibilities for a profound security with this God. This is the beginning of the story of the one true God who is bringing order and meaning and beauty and life out of the chaos. Death and violence are not, in fact, essential to this picture. The universe that we are a part of does not find its origins in bloody violence. Rather, what this poem is asserting It finds its origins in God's undisputed goodness and the fruitfulness of his love and his purposes to share his presence. So we are born out of his love, within the unrivaled security of his love, with a vocation also to reflect his image, to be fruitful in our love. Do you see what this is getting at, what it's really meaning? And we're just at the beginning of a long story here and it's about to go downhill fast some of you have already got there in your your daily readings but the purposes of this beginning is to set the scene and like the rest of the Torah and the prophets and the writings to tell the story the unified story of the one true God a thousand years after let's go back to the bookshelf to finish off a thousand years after this was penned this is the God who is to come in himself into the messy, violent reality of a world gone wrong. And he didn't come and meet it with overwhelming violence, overwhelming force, no. In a most surprising, unexpected turn, he came with majestic humility, with loving sacrifice on the cross, absorbing the mess, forgiving And then, 
on the third day as he rose again. The reality is underscored that actually this ancient text points to this this more marvellous reality than we can get our heads around that the last word, just like the first word of this story, will not be death and destruction and violence, but rather peace and love and justice and righteousness of God's good creation fully restored. That's the story.